Coming from the United Kingdom, the world according to Garth. Hi everybody, this is Gorf speaking to you on this episode of The World According to Gorf from Warwick University, an hour and a half north or so of London, England, where I have been attending the Limud Conference 2013, or as they would say here, conference. It's an interesting Jewish organization run almost entirely by volunteers, 40 or 100, depending upon how you do your math, 40 volunteers organizing a group of 2,500 people from across London, England, the UK, the Eurozone, and as far away as Israel, and of course the United States. I was privileged to have been brought to this conference to do my Jewish cartoon workshop, and also pitch in in some other unexpected, interesting ways. Let's get to some of the interviews and discussions and portions of music and explanations of Limud, what Limud is, all kinds of stuff. It's a mind-blowing, sleep-depriving, energizing, stimulating, intellectually, emotionally, and Jewishly, everything experience that nearly defies description, or at least nearly defies encapsulating, but certainly we can explain what the organization does and how it is impacting Jewish learning and indeed Jewish lives all over the world. On today's episode of The World According to Gorf, through interviews, discussions, snippets, and so forth, I'm going to give you a little taste of Conference 2013. My name is E.J. Cohen. I'm one of two people representing Boston Limud. There are 52 Limudim around the world, several in the United States, several overseas. And the noise in the background are people finally having a chance to breathe after a three-and-a-half-hour workshop with uh, delegates from all the foreign Limuds. Did everybody make presentations? No. What they did is they went around and explained who they were in their... We divided up into North America... Uh, Australasia, um, Britain, and Israel, and former Soviet Union, FS, you know, all the, all the major clumps. And we sat together in small, smaller groups and um, discussed some of the challenges of getting volunteers, getting how do we do publicity, what, is, what are our fees to go to Lamud, things like that. The New York Lamud is three days. Boston Lamud is a one-day event. In the U.K., it's the only one that's a week if you count Shabbat because it's all Christmas week. But all the other Limudim are either during a long weekend where there's a no school or work on Monday or a one-day event. Limud rules, in quotes, are that we don't do anything that isolates any one community. So it makes sense if you're going to have a multi-day event to have it over Shabbat, but you have to provide housing so people don't travel so you don't isolate the Orthodox community. Or you host it in a big enough hotel like New York Limud does so that people can come in for Shabbat and have workshops with, that don't involve writing on Shabbat, but then at night it, everything goes after, after Shabbat ends. The UK one, I've come to 16 of them, 10 in Nottingham and 6 here in Warwick. What draws me here is the energy, the learning. I'm a sign language interpreter by profession, and I specialize in Judaica. So I go to Jewish conferences a lot, but I usually go to interpret. So I have never gone to a workshop at any Jewish conference for me. 
until I came to Lamud. I was sent as a delegate from the former Coalition for Advancement of Jewish Education, which was then known as CAGE, which no longer exists. But they sent me as a delegate in 1998, and it was the first time I learned for myself, and I fell in love with it. So I came back every year, and I even moved to England for eight years to get my master's in Jewish education because the teachers I would have in my program were, the, were Limud teachers, and I liked their sessions here. I didn't want to wait a year. As somebody who is new to Limud, I am. This is my first Limud. How would you recommend that I navigate the plethora of <laughs> offerings? I, I, it's difficult to describe because there are classes, there are music sessions, some are interactive, some are lectures, some are early in the morning, some are late at night. Some of the most brilliant thinkers from across the Jewish world, denominationally, politically, religiously, etc., are all here at one time. No two Limud experiences could possibly be the same. So how do you then navigate it in such a way where you customize a Limud experience that is best for the individual? The first year I came, I was completely overwhelmed. But as far as sessions go... The Chevruta session, which is every morning, Chevruta is a large room of people studying together. We have tables of ten. We start off with one leader at the Chevruta table. Each table has a leader. We talk about the day, the book itself, which is our Chevruta book this year is called Tefillah, and it has four chapters, and each chapter has ten segments. And so each day we cover one chapter. We break off into groups of two study partners for maybe 20 minutes to a half an hour, depending on the length of time of the whole Chevruta session. We sit and discuss in, to, in pairs. Then we come back together as a group and discuss it as a group of each table. And then someone who is involved in writing that, that day gets up and gives the drosh for the day. And you're often learning. And you, it's brilliant. And it's what made me move to England, too, because I wanted that kind of study experience on a long-term basis. That's one, I think, if you start off with Kavruta, the rest of your day can only go up. I come to well, as many sessions as I can go to in between meetings, but there are three presenters I never miss. Clive Lawton, I will listen to him read a phone book. His sessions, he talks for an hour and a half with no notes, and, and it doesn't matter who heckles or makes a comment and goes off on a tangent. He's there, he keeps it up, and you get it. Rafi Zaram, brilliant, and Rabbi Daniel Goldfarb from Jerusalem, who's a Boston native, so he speaks his language. If you, if you think the British accent is interesting to understand, listening to a man who has no R's in his vocabulary is brilliant. There are no bad presenters. That's the challenge. There are no bad presenters, and there are no bad musicians. So the music here is astounding. We have acoustic cafe. We have lunchtime concerts. We have open mic. We have musicians from around the world come, and they each present. They each have time for their concerts. We usually have a lot of Americans who come because America's musicians are the forefront of Jewish music, but they've expanded so that the Brits are really getting it now, and we have the homegrown people, which is fabulous. And it's, it's, it is challenging to go to everything at once, which is why sleeping is usually optional. Um, and that's my <laughs> philosophy is buses and trains and planes are for sleeping. Limote is not. It's exciting. I've made lifelong friends. It's worth every pence. It's wonderful. E.J. Cohen, thank you very much for talking with us about Limud UK 2013. Thank you very much. Team, team.
from Melbourne and you're listening to The World According to Goff on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm standing with David Hoffman, the Hoff, Limud International Chair, and he's kind enough to give me two minutes of his time, so we better make, better make it a good one. Can you describe your role and your objective with Limud? Sure. Hi. Well, um, I'm Chair of Limud International. Limud International is a support team. Uh, we're based in the UK. We're part of the Limud organization. And our role is to provide support, training, communications, connections between all the different Lamud groups around the world. Uh, international here means, is a UK word, it just means, for our purposes, not in the UK. What's my role? Well, we send out monthly email bulletins. We've done this year, we've done an annual review. So there's a glossy brochure of all the different Lamud groups and what they're going on. We have a website. Uh, we keep in touch with different groups, groups who have problems. How many My, groups are there? There's now... 50-some? Yes. I've got the piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much to keep in your head. Look, you, have, you have 2,700 participants here. At this reception right now, how many people do you have that, are, that, uh, that were invited? We have 100 international delegates at conference. So the conference is 2,500 people. Um, and 100 of those are Limud volunteers from outside the UK. That's as well as international presenters and just people who've come along. Um, 
We have 25,000 people last year went to a limited event somewhere in the world. And if somebody wants to participate anywhere in the world, how do they become involved? So find your local Limud group. There's a Limud International website which lists all the groups, www.limudinternational.org. You can always write to Limud International. Again, the details are on the website, or international at limud.org, and we can point you in the right direction. There are Limuds in all sorts of places. There are also new groups somewhere. So even somewhere that might not look like it's got a group might have one. And if there isn't one, the best thing you can do is go to the nearest one, come to the UK, go to somewhere near you, find out what it's like, and then start your own. Limud is absolutely all about volunteers. It's, it's run by volunteers on the whole with a few staff. It's driven by volunteers. New groups happen because groups of people in different places say, we'd like to have a Limud. We don't have a master plan. It's, not, it's actually not my job to look at a map and go, where do we need a Limud? It's just my job to help make sure that all the Limuds there are talk to each other, talk to us, share their experiences. We provide training. We provide support. If they've got a problem, there's people they can speak to. Just keeping us in touch, really, making it one big network. Do Jewish organizations contact you for advice on how to get along? Only the Limud ones. Because <laughs> we all talk to each other, it's fine. And what drew you to Limud originally? Music. Really? I enjoy playing music. I started coming to Limud conference in the UK a little over 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And the thing that drew me in was the Jewish music. I'd never heard Jewish music that was my sort of music. I'm a, I play rock music, I enjoy rock music and pop music. That sort of music, but with a Jewish theme. And that hooked me. And the open mic nights. Mm -hmm. We have open mic sessions where the talent is just unbelievable. Um, some of it's unbelievably good and some of it's just <laughs> unbelievable. But it's all brilliant. That drew me in. And I started getting involved in the music. And then I knew people. And then someone said, David, would you mind volunteering to do something? Um, and I helped with an event in the UK called Limud Fest, which is a summer festival. And then I did programming for conference. And then I did some more fest, and then I started a limit in Manchester. And then after all that, I ended up being part of the people running Limud. And when is the Limud band, the official Limud band or album coming out? Well, there's an unofficial Limud band, which I'm in, called The Token Vegetation. Um, Why that name? Well, it's a bit like, you know, you might get a plate of food, and you might have a piece of fish, and there's a bit of parsley on it. And the past is like token vegetation. And that's us. We're kind of the garnish on the mud. So we're an unofficial band because actually we tend to support other musicians. And we, don't, we haven't yet recorded an album. Okay, so it's the house band. We have to fix that for, for some anniversary. I'm, I'm working on some songs myself, which I'm recording um, with a guy called Glenn Grossman, who's actually at the mood this year. He's the husband of Naomi Les, the musician. Right, who was um, just performing with Mikey uh, for the Teens and Youth. Right, exactly. Um, and one of the songs I'm recording with Glenn is called The Lemud Addict Blues. And it's a personal song for me. It's, it's sharing my problem. I'm a Lemud addict and getting support from others. And I'm also, you know, founder of Lemud Nix Anonymous which is a self-help group because I've got a problem. Are there six steps or, or do we need more than that in order to get you over your addiction? Well, the problem is the, we only get as far as the first step, which is come to conference and then we're all hooked again. So. It's a good problem to have. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. Cheers.
Hi, my name is Ruth Wazana. I am both from France and Tel Aviv, and you are listening to the World According to Gorf on the Nahum Siegel Network. I, 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 know, I know what I do. The World According to Gorf, this is Gorf at Limud UK. It's dinner time, and I'm seated at a table with some wonderful people who are going to tell you where they're from, what they're doing, and what they're eating. Hi, I'm Justine. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. I am eating dinner. I'm eating fish, and I think, I'm not sure what this other thing is, tofu something, I think, and stir-fry. And I'm here just to enjoy Limud and learn as much as I can. Pass you on. Hi, I'm Stephen. I came here last year as part of a program, and uh, I'm going to Israel, and I thought, I'm in the area. It's pretty close. Uh, going to Israel to do uh, vacation work experience, six weeks work experience, from, also from Australia, uh, Melbourne. And uh, I'm eating nothing at the moment because I'm talking, <laughs> <laughs> but very soon we'll be eating some sweet corn. Hi, I'm Eliana. I'm from uh, Israel originally, but I've lived in London the last few years. So I'm from London, I guess, uh, from Jerusalem, where we had some very exciting snow that turned into almost into a disaster. But uh, I'm uh, eating uh, something that's both vegan and gluten-free. I can't tell you much more than that because I'm not sure I know, but very excited to be in the mood. I'm in London. Uh, beca- that's a really difficult question for me. I did a master's in London and I stayed for a few years. I'm here with my husband, who's also a singer-songwriter and a teacher. Who's your singer? Um, your he is uh, O. Cohen. He's probably going to be on one of the uh, open mic nights, and he was very excited to move to London for musical reasons. Uh, I'm from uh, Finchley in North London, um, here at conference. Um, yeah, I'm here at Lemud. I've uh, been here having a, a beautiful Shabbos, um, and just had a, a lovely meal now. And um, I'm here to uh, here to make some new friends and catch up with some uh, old friends and maybe make some new ones. And uh, I've met a lot of fantastic people so far. So uh, hopefully that'll be uh, that'll be continuing. The most beautiful part of Shabbat was the Havdalah. So out on the front, um, there's an amphitheater, and everyone, uh, all I think 400 of us who were there, uh, had arms linked. We were singing beautiful songs um, and. Um, it was just a fantastic buzz, and I think there was a moment, you know, where everyone just came together, and uh, you know, there was a moment of kind of uh, clarity for everyone, and it was it was beautiful. Um, also, you know, beautiful Zamarat throughout Shabbos. Uh, everyone was singing together, and you know, Jews from all different denominations, um, all different parts of the world and ways of life um, came together in the thing that binds them, the wondrousness and uh, the light of Shabbos and the kavod of being in each other's company. Uh, hi there, I'm Eyal Israel. I'm from London. I'm here in Lamud to support my fantastic uh, partner, Debbie Danon, uh, in talks that she's giving and uh, hosting open mic evenings. Uh, I've just finished eating a delicious piece of gluten-free and dairy-free cake, uh, <laughs> which I recommend to everyone. And... Uh, Tell the story about how you ended up going to Limu together when it was a surprise. So myself and, and the wonderful Nicholas Reed say hi. Hello. Uh, we have known each other since we were little kids, and we have known about Limud for about 20 years, or, so, or, or thereabouts. I uh, have known it's a wonderful thing, uh, but we didn't believe it. Lots of friends of ours have told us that we should come along, and we're always like, yeah, okay, maybe we'll do it. So Nick calls me up at about middle of October time and says, oh, the funniest thing is happening. And I go, what's that? He says, well, I'm... Uh, I'm going to be going to Limud this year. And I go, you want to laugh even harder? I'm going to be going to Limud as well. We did not ever plan to do this together, but I'm so glad that we are. And I've never, ever spent a Christmas with you. 
no. at Limud. Yeah, it's best time of everything. <laughs> it still is. Like, Hanukkah exists just because it, you're not Jewish. Christmas exists just because I'm not a Christian. Nick apparently is one of the best um, Jewish geography hobnobbers in the world, so you're happy to be here, Ayal, because you can follow him around and meet everybody and not have to work hard at it. Yeah, Nick knows absolutely everybody here. He also greets people that he has never met before as if he already knows them, <laughs> uh, which really helps because they, they turn to him and are like, oh, yes, I, I must know you because you know me. And Nick's like, what's your name? Who are you? <laughs> he, he makes friends before they even know his name. It's fantastic. It's great. It's great. Hi, my name's Kevin. I'm the chair of Lamud, and I'm a volunteer in that capacity. By day, I make shoes. Really? I do make shoes, yeah. Do you put the shoes under the chair? I do put the shoes under the chair. Excellent. <laughs> What's that about putting shoes under the chair? Well, you said you, you make shoes, and I was oh, thinking... under my own chair. Yes, yeah, exactly. Chair that, that's exactly what I do. You were about to tell us the origins of Lamud, that it started in Cambridge in a musty basement or something. Well, not far off. It was Oxford, um, but that's uh, always a good thing to get wrong. So around about 33 years ago, so 1980 was the first Lumud. It was set up by a group of people who had gone to the States. There was a conference um, for Jewish educators called CAGE, C-A-J-E. And we sent a few people, so the community here sent a few people to look at that, and they came back and they thought it was amazing. They set up an event at a boarding school just outside Oxford, over the winter weekend um, at the end of 1980 and they came with their families of about you know between 80 or so people and people came they liked it they learned about different types of Jewish education and that really was sort of, sort of what Lumad was for the next uh, 10 years or so it was very much about educators and their families it was always programming for other people there was always choice and then what happened in the 1990s is suddenly the rest of the community got excited about it and over the course of that decade it grew from a few hundred to 2,000 people. So there was a massive explosion of numbers. And we shifted, we moved around from this place, boarding school in just outside Oxford. We went to Portsmouth, to Worcester, to Manchester, and then we finally found a home at University of Nottingham. And we were there for about 10 years before we came here, about a decade ago. So I guess the first year, first 10 years were about um, a decade of educators. The next 10 years, a decade of the community and everyone coming. And then the next 10 years were about Lumud going international. So Lumud Oz was one of the first Lumuds outside the UK. And like it's famous, it's like all excited. I remember the first time I saw about Lumud Oz, it was like, wow, it's like the other side of the world. By Oz, you mean Australia? Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Do you guys not call Australia Oz? Well, when we think Oz, we think Wizard of. <laughs> Are they not the same? No, Oz is Australia, for sure. But you have wizards. <laughs> and we have wizards, of You course. do, you have orcs. Orcs, that is very true. Yes, okay, you have to, as long as you do, you have to identify who you are. My name is Jordi Krauss, and I am a selfish participant at Limud Conference 2000, and what year is it now? 13! Not and for long. And you're from? Sorry, from Melbourne, Australia. And you came because? Ah, I came because A, I'm super interested in Limud, and B, (laughs) I actually had flights that went by London to Tunisia, and I'm travelling in Tunisia afterwards. Um, Been to quite a few Limud events in Melbourne, really enjoyed them, and um, decided to give up my beautiful summer to come and spend an awesome week with you guys. That's right. That's right. It's summertime in Australia now, not wintertime. Can you explain to me why it was sunny yesterday and then five minutes later, torrential rain? <laughs> um, Clearly you can't. Okay, next question. I'm <laughs> sorry. so sorry about the weather. <laughs> All I know is each time it rains, my coat is in one building and I'm in another. So I've yeah. got wet every time. 
you are headed where again right now? To Tunisia or Tunisia. I'm not, I still haven't found out the correct pronunciation, but one of the two. And what are you doing there? Because you work for Oxfam. Tell us a little about that. Correct. So I work for Oxfam in policy and advocacy area, and my trip to Tunisia has no relevance at all to my job in Oxfam, although there is an Oxfam office actually in the capital in Tunis. Um, so I'm purely going to travel with a friend there um, to visit the Jewish community in an island at the bottom of Tunisia called Jerba. Um, apparently there's a community there that um, is one of the oldest Jewish communities outside of Israel. They practice a different form of Judaism, very similar to like Karat um, Judaism. And apparently they live, live on this island with Christians and Muslims and they live quite peacefully together. And on one side of this island there's apparently a beautiful turquoise beaches. On the other side is the Sahara Desert and it's meant to be, yeah, it's meant to be pretty fascinating. Another thing that drew me there was there's a festival over New Year's that's um, in the desert. It's for Arab nomads. And, um, yeah, a few friends have been there and said, I have to catch that while I'm there. Where are you going after that? Back home. Fortunately, I only have three weeks of leave, so I'm going to come back with zero leave balance <laughs> for the next few years. I won't be able to go anywhere. But um, stopping off two nights on the way home via Paris. As the chair, what would you say is the most intriguing part of Limud? I think it's the people who come. I mean, genuinely, you've got no idea who's going to turn up. And the random conversations that you get are just so diverse. And we were talking a little bit about how you would sort of describe it. And if it were painting, it would be like sort of a Jackson Pollock, that you've got all sorts of lines and colors in all sorts of directions. And actually, you create something really quite significant if you can read meaning into it. And it's that diversity and the encounters that you have you just never find anywhere else unless you actually decide to walk up and down a train and talk to everyone else in the carriage and then you'd probably be sort of shunned for doing so but here it's perfectly allowed Stefan, tell us please where you're from Hi, I'm Stefan Heilmann I'm, I'm from Germany uh, Augsburg is in Bavaria and I'm here for Limut conference And you have an interesting story about coming here, you wanted to come with a friend and... Yeah, I apply very early because I, I wanted to see something new, to see the to, to see the Jewish life in a, um, another country, and I hope so much my friend come with me. And and I applied in the beginning of August when it's open, and and my, and my friend never applied, so I come alone here. And in the beginning I was very nervous, another country, another language. Um, I knew not someone, and 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 now I'm I'm as happy as I couldn't imagine how happy I am. So the happy accidents is very much the common theme that I hear from a lot of the people that I'm talking to, and I had an experience like that even before I came to Limud on my way here. I was in the United Lounge at Washington D.C. Dulles Airport. And I was waiting for my flight to London, and there was a guy sitting across from me working a laptop and a cell phone at the same time and talking a mile a minute. And I picked up a couple of Jewish words here and there. He was talking to Gadi. He was talking about Shabbat in London. I don't remember exactly what the references were, but at a certain point, he referred to himself in the third person as Marcus. So I don't know why it clicked in my head. I was flipping through the the presenter list, and there was a guy named Marcus who I thought I had seen in the presenter's list. So while I'm sitting there across from him in the lounge, I'm flipping through Facebook and looking up Marcus's. I call it up on Facebook. I see his picture. I look up from the screen, and it's the same guy. (laughs) Look at that. When he was finally off the phone... I said, Marcus, I'm Gorf, I'm also going to Limud. And he looked at me like, stalker. (laughs) 
So tonight, I was uh, following my old friend Naomi Less out of her concert, because that's what I do. I follow people and make them nervous, clearly. <laughs> and it so happened that she wandered over to the bar in Roots, the main building over here, and there was Marcus. So I waited for him to say his hellos and give out his free uh, beer passes or whatever it was he was doing. I didn't get one. I'm very disappointed. Thank you, Marcus. Finally, I went up to him and I said, hi, Marcus, I'm Gorf from the United Lounge. And he laughed and he held out his hand to shake and he said, yeah, you made me really nervous. <laughs> Awesome. But the spirit of happy accidents, happy accidental meetings is alive and well, even when you're just going to leave for the first time. That's the story. Thank you all very much for Tavon.
Hi, this is Daniel Kainer, and you're listening to The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm with the Nachum Siegel Network, The World According to Gorf is the name of the show. And I have discovered you as part of the official way of discovering things in Limud, a happy accident. I came in here because I needed to speak with John, the sound engineer, and I was captivated immediately. In the United States, I don't know how much of a following you have. Forgive me, I'm coming to you completely yeah. new, which makes me a good representative to introduce you to our worldwide audience. Can you tell me a little bit about your musical background and how you came to write such evocative songs? Well, my, you know, my musical background is I've always written songs, and I've always written songs which have been a little bit more, if you like, slightly cerebrally based, but you know, they always told stories. There's always been a very strong narrative trend uh, in them, and then I have, uh, and musically. Um, you know, I've done a lot of composition music for television and other things, and so I've just sort of I've honed my craft. But what really happened was I I, I was brought up um, in a fairly observant family, uh, and then I kind of drifted away. Uh, and then in my sort of, if you like, in my you know lower middle age, um, I had a bit of a, a, a you know midlife kosher crisis, you might say, where I started looking at who I was. And so it was like in the spirit of you can't look at who you are without looking at where you come from. So. And, and then I started examining, you know, recognizing that I was Jewish and how that informed me. And I just started writing about it um, and just the materials are tumbling out. So there's a lot more, uh, you know, observations and just general feelings, observations about myself and my relationship with Judaism, which is with, with my Judaism. I can't really speak for anybody. But what it does seem to have done is, is that people seem to identify with it from across denominations you know, as well so I have people that are pretty observant and from that still enjoy my material and also those from the more liberal end um, because it's a genuinely sincere examination of, of my relationship with my Jewishness but it's done with a certain amount of humour and, and I, tell a, I tell a story and they're, they're cracking yarns these you know. Can you give me a, a quick overview of your background where you studied, well actually let's back up where you were born, where you lived, where you grew up where you studied and then what your musical studies would be? Uh, yeah, I was well. I was born in a rather sort of you know not particularly interesting suburb of of uh, London, it's beyond a suburb really, uh, close called Surbiton, which features very uh, greatly in one of my songs. Uh, and then when my parents divorced, we moved to the north of England to a place called Leeds. Actually, it's where they they had come from originally. So really, we were returning home. Um, musical education, I didn't really have any, to be honest. I, I went to university, uh, but I studied English literature there. I had no musical training whatsoever. But obviously you've had a training as a lyricist because music is poetry set to... Well, yes, I mean, but I just that's just what I do. I've had no training in it. It's just, it's just what I do. I don't quite know how I do it, uh, but it just... And sometimes... When I try and write again, I think I have no idea. I know I've done it because I have the evidence, but I don't know how. But then something usually comes. But, you know, without it sound, wanting it to sound all, you know, a bit wishy-washy, it comes from somewhere else. You know, I, my job is to mould and shape and bend it a little bit and deliver it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've had no training. Certainly musically, I don't really understand how I make those noises, but, but I'm told it sounds pretty accomplished, so there we go. Uh, so that's my musical background and my education really don't, you know, they, they didn't really predict that I'd end up doing this. And I, I certainly it was not in my plan to start singing Jewish stuff. Did you have any kind of Jewish education growing up? Well, uh, to start with, until I was, well, up until about my bar mitzvah, yes, we were fairly, we were fairly observant. So 
but you know, I mean, that's Cheder on a Sunday morning. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Uh, and I don't remember much about it. And uh, ironically, now, I mean, it's one of the great things about being at Limud. It's a kind of crash course in finding out about modern Jewry. <laughs> but, How did they find you? Well, I sort of found them, really. Um, and it's just, there's been a relationship we've had ever since. And I've started doing other, because they have, as you know, there's New York Limud. And there's Limudim, in fact, all over the States now. So it's a great Anglo export, I think. Uh, so that's it. I just I knew I knew of it. I came along, and uh, and here I am now, learning about the new ways of being Jewish. Because my way was really a bit sort of solidified when I left it. So it's really quite enlightening to see how different different sorts of Jews there are. They come in all shapes and sizes. It's remarkable, actually. But it's a very different sort of experience and way in in New York, certainly, because in some ways, it's, you know, it's a Jewish town, isn't it? Much more so than the UK. I mean, we have here we have. Well, how do they count it? I don't know, but they say 250,000, 300,000 Jews in the whole place, you know, as opposed to whatever it is, 2 million in New York. But they're the ones that you're able to count. You know, what about the ones that are half Jewish, ones that don't belong to a synagogue? What, what, what is all that? But the interesting thing about, the, about going to New York and playing this material is that here I, I quite often play to completely non-Jewish audiences in Edinburgh. And this show won an award in Edinburgh this year. Um, and I have to explain an awful lot of the terms. I have to explain the Yiddish. Very few Yiddish phrases in it, but it's there. When I go to New York, I have to explain... I don't have to explain the Yiddish, but I have to explain the English. I was going to ask that exact question. You're in Limud, where people are coming from across 50 different Limudim, lots of different countries, languages, cultures, etc. How do you find that different cultures, Jewish backgrounds, respond to your music? Well, mostly it's okay, but it's a bit difficult to, you know, you, you can't really, I don't know how many people are going to, I can't take a sort of demographic study of the different complexion of the, of the audience. You know, I'm looking right, at but as a performer, you can see it. You can see what they're responding to. There's certain jokes, for example, yes. that most people, we, most of the time will kill, but you may be in a particular audience in New York and it falls flat. Yes. So do you adjust? Well, I, I, luckily so far, I haven't had a full flat in New York. Um, I've had occasional full flats here, and it actually sometimes it is. It's. I mean, once I got very. I got a, a woman that came up to me. It was in Australia. It was in uh, Sydney, and she was furious with me. I have a song called "Bad Rabbi," uh, and it's a true story again about a, a rabbi that was arrested and convicted for possession of cocaine, and she said. I was really enjoying everything up until that point, but then I just thought, this is too much. How dare you do this song? This is, and it, she was saying it contravened the, the law of what's called lush and horror, which is about, well, it's, you know, slightly, number 612 of them, it's what, I think. But it, um, basically the idea is that you shouldn't be spreading gossip about people. And to some extent, she has a point. Uh, having said that, I did look this up. Um, as much as I could on Yidipedia. Uh, and it says that the, the, um, if it's less than, less than three people, yes, indeed, it is gossip. But if it's more than three, it's, it's news. So therefore, in some ways, I'm justified as I'm performing a public service. At least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. How many albums have you recorded? Well, I've won on the, uh, this is of Jewish material, like, mm-hmm. like this, of the show called Jewish Chronicles, and I'm nearly complete with the second one, but I uh, haven't quite finished that yet, which is a shame. I'd like to have been vlogging that here, too. You, you absolutely should. Can you give us a picture of what Jewish music, homegrown English Jewish music looks like? Well, yeah, homegrown Jewish music, I, is, is there such a thing? I mean, it's all such a mixture of what's going on in the, in the Jewish music world at the moment, and there's an awful lot, of course, American 
style import. There's a lot of Jewish rock that's coming over. As you'll see a lot of this at Limud right now. Right. Um, uh, there's a lot of sort of Kletzma-based uh, music. Well, let around. me refine the question then. What I mean specifically is, as I have been traveling, I'm a, a uh, part-time musician as well. So as I've been hanging with some musician friends and going to acts that have been recommended, I've encountered Moroccan music. I've encountered authentic Spartac and Israeli music. Yeah. A lot of American music. I've been dying to hear authentic British music, especially since I'm a big fan of the BBC, and yes. I won't go into any more no, specifics. No, I don't think that I... I, I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, BBC Entertainment. <laughs> well, I'm sorry if there are homegrown Jewish music uh, producers listening to this saying, but you didn't mention me. But I'm not really... I don't think there's anybody else doing quite what I'm doing, for starters, because it is very, it's very Anglo-Jewish, but at the same time, it's extremely easy to identify with. To some extent, actually, I think what works quite well in the States is that the, the Englishness of it is also appealing as well. But, mm-hmm. but uh, in that kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, like uh, Dick Van Dyke kind of a way. Well, uh, Monty Python kind yeah, of way, but at any rate, yes. That's right, yes, but Dick Van Dyke actually was a bad example because he, was, he did win the, do the worst English accent than anybody had ever yeah. done. <laughs> but, um, no, I think you're right. It's, the, you, there is music around, but it is in those styles of, you know, there's a lot of, you can hear in London, you'll hear a lot of uh, Ladino, uh, beautiful music. But this sort of thing, this kind of songwriting uh, with that sort of, uh, you know, rooted in sort of no coward, if you like, rather than, <laughs> rather than that. So certainly in musical, but also through the sort of more quirky British singer-songwriters, mixed with a bit of American, but, you know, my, you know there's certainly, you know, it's more, it's, you know, there's a little bit, it's got that British feel to it, this thing, as opposed to, you know, it's definitely a singer-songwriter doing stuff about Jewish, specifically Jewish things. But, actually, here's the point. The point is that it's... To be overtly Jewish in the entertainment world in the UK, possibly in Europe, uh, but that's a bit different, but certainly in the UK, is, is unusual. Uh, and whereas in the States, it is part of the culture. And to be actually come up and say it above the parapet and wave and say unashamedly Jew is unusual. And I think that is the difference between the, the, the European and the, and the US narrative here. Here, we're still looking over our shoulders a little bit over, you know, we're a bit closer bit closer to, to all that um, which we, we don't need to mention it there is a song by the american writer musician billy joel called scenes from an italian yes. restaurant and the last song that you just performed which was called the service in washerama very much reminded me of the jewish equivalent of scenes from an italian restaurant both because it's bookended and has a central core narrative and also because it's autobiographical Honest and moving. Well, I'm very flattered for the uh, the comparison. Thank you. I'm sure Billy Joel would be also when he listens to our show. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Billy. (laughs) I mean, I think think there's something about... It gives it an emotional depth, the fact that they're true stories, that somehow if they were just entirely fiction, that they wouldn't quite have. It's not just about my family, but it's also about a whole thing that was happening in the 1960s. It's about... It's why we all... Everybody hears that they recognize themselves in it or their own family. Uh, And also, in terms of the Jewish world, the demographic change that happened around about that time and suddenly and if you look at there were three boys in my family and two if you like went out and one stayed in and that would be sort of rather concurrent with the way that that generally the whole jewish world has fragmented since that 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 time because i'm kind of finding my way back in again now tell us how can we reach you how well, can people learn um, about daniel kaner uh, you can find me uh, online just google daniel 
that's easily spellable, and Kainer, my last name, C-A-I-N-E-R, which is, you know, like Cain, but with an R on the end. Whenever I hear some klezma, I'm back in the settlement pale. Every cell of me seems to remember as the clarinet starts to wail. All of that pain all over again. Released from the history vaults. These are the strains of the kosher and hamisher. This is the Giddisher waltz. Yiddish waltz Yiddish waltz At the wedding and at the bar mitzvah They dance round an uplifted chair Like a scene from a motion picture The familiar soundtrack is there Blazing black hat from Edgeware to Elat. Some schmearing, some schmoozing, some schmaltz. And all that kvetching is somehow more fetching when set to a Yiddish waltz. And the Moabites and the Midianites weren't unique The Babylonians, the Macedonians, the Romans and the Greeks The countless invaders, the Turks and Crusaders The Spanish and the Cossacks, the Fascists and the Freaks They've all had it in for us Maybe we're blessed, or maybe we're when I listen to the cantor Singing at the midnight salichot I get questions but no answers And a deafening silence from God But something inside Cavells up with pride Whether my faith be true or be false Whatever I tell myself, I can't seem to help myself Singing a Yiddish waltz Yiddish waltz Yiddish waltz Yiddish waltz And atrocities and pomposities we're known They followed us and collared us through every time zone A 
This is Gore for wrapping up one week in the United Kingdom, just north of London at Limud Conference 2013. I'm speaking to you as the coaches, as they call the buses here, have pulled away. We're all a little bit sleep-deprived. One of the oft-cited themes of Limud is the happy accidents, the chance encounters. I was waiting for my ride in the lorry back to London And there was a gentleman, one of the very few people who was remaining behind. He was seated on the couch and reading uh, the Times of London and waiting for his son, a teenage volunteer, to finish cleaning up, and his wife, who was also a volunteer. As happens in Limud, you can't be seated next to somebody without saying hello and introducing yourselves and finding a little bit about each other. He is an expert in homeopathy, natural remedies. He had been studying to be a rabbi and decided that he wanted to take a different direction. I asked him what Limud meant to him, and he said that he was originally drawn to Limud because at the time in the late 80s, this is back when it had been maybe a year or two since the founding of the original Limud, which was in Oxford, and then it went to Nottingham. He said that at the time, this was one of the best options for open-minded learning in Judaism, and he was drawn to it. I asked him how he met his wife, and he smiled. There's a little twinkle in his eye. It's funny. His answer relates to the way he looks. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. He has the white beard and the kind of ruddy features. And, oh, so the purpose of Limud for him was both for Jewish learning and, of course, to avoid Christmas, since it always coincides with the holiday here, which is taken very seriously. So I asked him how he met his wife, and he said, here. And I said, really, how was that? And he said, well, they lit Hanukkah candles, and he wanted to stay behind to watch the candles burn down, and she did too. I wonder how many life partnerships have bloomed because of the Jewish learning that happened here, and what better way to form the Jewish future. 
Hi, I'm Sophie Clark from Glasgow. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. As always, you can get a weekly dose of Gorf at jewishcartoon.com. You can like us on Facebook at The World According to Gorf. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Jewish Cartoon. Until next time, from the UK, Shalom. Excuse me, I mean, cheers. <laughs>